Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight and just ask Him to be in this place. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your your goodness and your mercy, the love that you extend to us every day. We thank you for this opportunity to meet in your house tonight. What a privilege it is to come together and to be in your presence where two or three are gathered in your name. You said that you would be there with us. Well, we've got more than two or three here, and we thank you, Lord, that you are here with us. It's a privilege uh, for us to sit upright and not have to be uh, uh, bowing and, and on the floor before you. You give us the privilege to come in as children into your presence, and I'm so thankful for that. I pray that you would um, prepare the atmosphere tonight for us to receive your word and make us sensitive to your spirit and to your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, I may have left a couple of you wondering, Well, I know I left a couple of you wondering because a couple of people asked me, but I didn't really uh, successfully make the connection between day-old bread and the lesson. Did anybody notice that? Okay, so now there are three people that noticed that because the other one is upstairs. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, that was my fault. I just got into what... God was feeding me, and, and I lost my place in my, in my thinking. Uh, the connection between the day-old bread, the manna was the fresh bread. Remember, we talked about uh, the manna and how it fell fresh every day, and it wouldn't keep overnight, except for one night uh, in the week, and that was on the sixth night, um, because on the seventh day, God rested, and he didn't want people to have to go out and gather their food on the seventh day. The manna was always fresh, uh, which was their daily nourishment from God, and needed to be, uh, and, and not only for our nourishment, but we also need it for proper growth. And that represents the word, the word of God, which there is no substitute for uh, the word of God, our daily bread. Uh, That's made clear in scripture that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, uh, every word that proceeds out of God. Uh, So basically it's saying the same thing. We need the word of God like we need bread. And even though we may find it okay to have day old bread, you stick it in a microwave and it comes back, sort of like it was, um, but God did not intend that for us with when it comes to spiritual bread, and that is where the connection was. He always wants us to have fresh bread, which means we really need his word every day. We need to enter into his word every day. Uh, and that's it. You're just, no, no, I might as well go on. Uh, does, does that clear anything up as far as any questions you might have had? good if if yeah it was fresh yes for now yeah but it really doesn't take the place of your day your daily bread that you should have taken at some time today uh should have eaten your daily bread 
which is the word of God. So even if I'm bringing you fresh bread tonight, you're just going to get stuffed. And, and I can't think of anything I'd rather be stuffed on than the word of God. Anybody else? Go right along with this. I uh, want to talk to you tonight about strange fire. And hopefully by the end of the lesson, I will be able to connect that to what I'm teaching about. Unlike last week. Uh, we will be looking at scripture, and I'm going to try to give that to you better tonight than I did last week. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. Leviticus 20, or 9, 22 through 24. Everybody there? There's still a few pages. We good? Okay. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. Um, and Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, uh, which when all the people saw, uh, they shouted and fell on their faces. Then moving on into chapter 10, verse 1, then um, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The fire was not that which came down from heaven, but it was common fire and was therefore called strange. It was not taken off of the altar of burnt offering as it ought to have been. Verse 2, so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. That was a shock to Aaron, I'm sure. Those, these were his two sons. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spake, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. There was nothing he could say about that because he realized that his two sons really didn't take their position seriously. They didn't take it with, with the uh, uh, reverence that they should have. And they were offering incense, which they were actually not supposed to do. That was Aaron's job at this point. But they rushed out and did that. And they used fire that wasn't from God. It was their own fire. This was supposed to be fire that, uh, to burn this incense was fire that, came from the sacrifices that had already been offered and the Lord consumed them with fire that he sent. Um, and it, it made it, re made it really clear when, when uh, Moses said that the, that the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. It's very important. And before all the people, I must be glorified. 
uh, and that was enough. That was enough to say it. And this is a concept actually that um, is very Old Testament and it carried on into, um, into the New Testament in Jerusalem and among the Jews, but it, it really didn't carry on in the, um, in the reverent, holy approach that it did way back then. Um, in those days, the glory of the Lord just didn't really dwell in people like it does in the New Testament. God would, would be present with them. He would provide for them. He would lead them with a pillar of cloud at night and, and, or a pillar of cloud at, during the day and a pier, pillar of fire at night. He led them through the wilderness and he provided for them. He actually went with them, but they didn't realize it uh, as the rock. Jesus was the rock that followed them through the wilderness and provided water for them. Um, their shoes and clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. That's amazing. Um, it was, God was with them, uh, but I have a feeling that, well, it actually, you, you see it in the scripture as you read. They really didn't reverence God for those things. They might remember it once a year or twice a year when a feast came up. They would, they were, the feasts were to remember uh, the things that God had done for them, uh, and they would they would consider it then um, during those feasts, but it would wear old in their minds, I believe. Um, we need to uh, look at our the power that I spoke to you about last week, and the way that we employ. The, the gift of God, the power of God in our lives through Jesus Christ, how, how that can affect us and how it can affect us in our homes and the benefit that we can get out of it. Uh, but we need to take a little bit of a look at ourselves and also that power and authority that we get from God. Um, in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, if you'll turn there, uh, want to talk about what kind of position we, what kind of role we play in the interaction between our natural lives, our mortal lives, and the spirit world that we are also in, but we don't really make the connection most of the time. Almost every day, almost all day, every one of us lives in a natural world, in the, in the flesh, in the physical, and also in our minds. We live in a natural world and we don't really step into the spiritual realm like we should. Um, we should realize, and eventually we kind of come to that understanding, whether we realize whether we live it or not, is that we are first spiritual beings and then we are natural beings. We are number one, and I'm talking about in priority and hierarchy in our own personal lives. We are number one spiritual beings. And number two, we are natural beings. God created us in his image, and he put us in human bodies. And some of our human bodies are spectacular, and some of them have drooped and bulged in places that we would rarely really rather that they didn't. But 
that's who we are, and we do we are involved whether we want to be or not. We are involved in a spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter six verse ten says, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might." Something for us to to look at. We really should read through this carefully and do it again. Do it often. Uh, we should. Um, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God. Now, the armor of God is there so that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want you to realize that this, um, this description, putting on the whole armor of God and making us able to stand uh, against the wilds of the enemy, that's an offensive, or rather a defensive position. This armor that we receive uh, through God, through the Spirit, is a defensive position. The enemy will attack us. The enemy constantly is after us to try to bring us down and destroy our relationship with God because he wants us to lose out. And somehow, I don't know how he thinks that's going to help him, in the end, but it's actually going to make his hell worse uh, in the end because he'll have knowledge of what, what he did and where it got him. Um, but it is, nonetheless, it's something that he does toward us, to us. So God has prepared us and, and equipped us to be able to defend against that. And that is a defensive uh, position. Uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual uh, hosts of wickedness in the, heavenly in the heavenly places. So that's where this battle has taken place. It's in the spirit. And so living in the flesh, we're not too in touch with that. But we should be. We need to be in touch with that spiritual battle. How, how would we know if we... Uh, we're in a spiritual battle. We would feel it. We would sense it. You, you'd sense it in the spirit. You'd sense it in the, in the Holy Ghost. You'd feel uneasy. You would know that there's something going on that shouldn't be going on uh, all around you. It's the, the atmosphere that we live in, which you can control a lot. You can control it in your home. I mentioned it last week. You can prepare the atmosphere of your home to be holy and joyful and righteous and upright, you can do those things just by going back to the Word of God and speaking the things that you want to come to pass. We have a voice. I know it's easier to just say things in your head and nobody hears, you, hears what you said, so you don't have to measure up to anybody's expectations of what they have for you. It's easier to do that, but that's not really where the power is. The power is to speak it out, to say it with your own mouth, and that establishes it not only in the spiritual realm, but in the natural realm, because it comes out of your mouth. Um, stand, therefore, in verse 14, stand, therefore, having uh, girded your, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Those, that's defensive as well, the breastplate. You, you don't really swing that. You just wear it, and it protects you. It's a defensive 
piece of armor. And having, your, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, what you stand on. What you stand on. And your feet are very vulnerable in battle. That's, that's uh, one way the enemy can bring you down, especially if it's just hand, hand combat, hand to hand. If you can injure the foot, they, they don't. Try walking around on one foot and just favor one foot. It'll throw you completely out of whack. Um, and that is the, the having your feet shod, that, that shod for your feet. It's kind of like a, a more metatorsal for your feet. Keeps things from falling down on your feet and, and breaking those bones. Uh, it's defense. Above all, taking the shield of faith, um, which with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Again, that's defense. The shield is defense. Oh, it can be used in the offense, but it's a defensive piece of armor. When something comes at you, whether it's a sword or whether it's a spear, the, the shield is, is to block that uh, primarily. Of course, you use it wherever and however you can. That's what you do with anything that you can lay your hands on. But it's defense. Um, in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is the only offensive weapon that we have. And these others defend us, but where we gain ground on the enemy is with our offensive weapon, which is the Word of God and the uh, helmet of salvation. Or the, yeah, the helmet of salvation is defensive, but it protects the head, which is very important. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is a, uh, an offensive weapon. Is, is this puzzling to anybody? Am I, am I going down a rabbit trail that you're not following me on? You have any questions or comments? I don't want to just go on and on and on. You don't want me to do that. If you have something that you're thinking, say it. Uh, verse 17, I read. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Very important. In the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's for us to be able to stand our ground. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What does that mean? I'll give somebody an opportunity now if they'd like to. Uh, tell me what that means to you. Praying always uh, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Anybody want to do that? What's the difference between in the spirit and not in the spirit? <laughs> yes, in the flesh. It's a right answer. It's very, very obvious, and I like obvious answers. They, they say a lot. When we pray, we can we can say pray. We can pray with just words that come out of our mouth and out of our head, or we can pray in the spirit, where where we actually enter in our whole selves, where we pour ourselves into the spirit man that we are and pray as 
a child of the Most High God, who is our actual Father and will defend us for sure in every situation. Number one, because he loves us with a love that we can't even comprehend. And he has a responsibility to us as his children. He is not going to fail in his responsibilities and he's not going to fail to love us. So if we are in need of his help uh, and we pray in the spirit, then we have someone who will answer and who is able to do anything that it takes to take us through it. Prayer without a holy life is strange fire. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 6, if you want to turn there. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That seems like a really simple, straightforward scripture. But there are a few words in there that really kind of bring it to life and make it bigger than just words on a page. Um, without faith, faith is so important. Can anybody think of a scripture that would tell us that it's important? Faith? You don't have to quote it exactly. Just does anybody know of anything that comes to your head? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anyone comes to the, to the Lord, he must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, so without faith, it's impossible to please him. Uh, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I believe that that has a lot to do with really where I'm trying to take this tonight is our prayer life. We not only need to spend time in the word and keep fresh bread coming in uh, to our spiritual man, we need to stay healthy and, and, uh, and nourished spiritually, um, but we also need to prop up our lives and maintain a good relationship with our Father through prayer. Um, and, and prayer without faith is dead. Um, works without faith is dead. So we need to pray with faith. Now, faith is an interesting subject. If, I don't know, I'm sure everybody's thought about it. But uh, Jesus was talking about uh, faith as the, as the grain of a mustard seed. Uh, you can say to this mountain, be removed uh, from this place and it'll happen. Faith is a, is a, a seemingly a small thing like a mustard seed, but it is a hugely powerful thing because the faith that we have is not in our ability to do anything. But the faith that we have is faith in God's ability to do anything. And God is absolutely able to do anything. He created everything through Jesus. Um, he is absolutely all-powerful. There's no one more powerful than God. There's no one even near God as far as power is concerned. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Anybody want to take a stab at what 
diligently says to them, I'm doing a good job because nobody has input at all. Diligent. What does it mean to be diligent? Anybody? Consistent? That's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good answers. Pushing beyond. Pushing beyond. Kind of like nagging. A nagging thing that's there and just doesn't be quiet. It's when we, that's when we diligently seek God. You're not satisfied until you get a hold of God. You'll push, you'll push to the point of almost feeling like you're a bother or an annoyance to God. You'll push and push and push. But he will answer you. If for no other reason, just to keep you from pushing and pushing. According to scripture, there, there are uh, scriptures that point to that. That with your constant coming, he'll, he'll provide. But it's not really that. It's love. It's love. Um, performance without power is strange fire. In Acts 19, verses uh, 14 through 16, we're going to take a look at that and um, kind of get an example of performance without power and what kind of an effect that can have on us. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse uh, 14. Also, there were seven, this is speaking about, um, about exorcism, basically. Uh, also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so, cast out uh, evil spirits. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? See, they didn't have, they didn't have the relationship. They didn't have uh, the fervency. They didn't have the, the, uh, uh, the faith and, and the confidence in what they were doing. They just had, they just had confidence in words that they had heard Paul speak. And they thought, if Paul can say those words, I can say those words. And if I say those words, then it'll have the same power as when Paul says those words. Uh, but then the man in whom the evil spirit was uh, leaped on them, overpowered them. Now, there were seven sons. Keep this in mind. There were seven of them standing there, casting this, this devil out of this man. And the man, actually it was the spirits in the man, but the man leapt on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them, one guy against seven, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. We are not really dealing with flesh and blood. This is a spiritual thing. And the spiritual is much more powerful and much more prominent uh, than the physical. That's why we need to remember what kind of a battle we're in and how to uh, stand our ground, not just in words, not just in actions, but in faith. We've, we've got to be spiritual when we do these things um, concerning taking control of the spiritual atmosphere of our homes. We have to do that in the spirit. We have to be spiritual when we do that. We can't just come in and say, oh, 
uh, let's just go ahead and take care of the atmosphere right now and then say a bunch of words. That's not really where it happens. It happens in the spirit. When we get on our knees and we pray and we worship God, uh, there's time for that. It's not a hurry. You can have time to connect with God in the, in the spirit. Um, and then when we do that, then we're not going to him with just somebody's name like Jesus. We're not just going to him with Jesus' name, but we're going to him with the spirit of God in us, recognizing the authority and position of Jesus. That's where it takes place. In John chapter 4 and 24, uh, we read that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Just worshiping him in truth is only half the battle. That's only half of the, the uh, ingredients, the necessary ingredients to do it. Um, in recent years, there's been an attempt by some to label the Pentecostal movement as a false church, uh, as dangerous as any cult or heresy that has ever assaulted Christianity. There are people who don't like Pentecostalism. Um, and the reason for that is uh, they tend to hold to Calvin, Calvinistic teachings, where uh, the belief that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit were taken away from the church after the death of the original apostles of Christ. This, you know, is a false doctrine that cannot be authenticated by either scripture or church history. Uh, the scripture says, these signs shall follow them that believe, and it, it doesn't have an ending to it. it the, the promise is made to them that believe, but there's, but there's no ending to it. You know, like these signs will follow them that believe, and then when I'm tired of doing it for them, then I'll take it away. Uh, that never happened. That's not in Scripture. But that's what the Calvinistic, uh, it's called since, uh, cessation uh, principle, where they say that the, the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. But as you and all, you and I, we all know that they haven't ceased. We've seen the Spirit of God in operation. We've seen the gifts of the Spirit in operation. We speak in tongues. Uh, many of us do, most of us probably. Um, and that's a gift of the Spirit that comes through the Spirit. So they may want to say that, uh, but it's not really the way it is. The early church leaders who succeeded uh, the original apostles make no mention of the cessation theory. On the other hand, they give clear testimony of miraculous gifts and healings occurring in their day. Uh, I've got some quotes here that I'm going to read. I think, yeah, I've got time for that. Um, consider the following quotes from uh, church fathers recognized by Paul, by both Protestants and Catholics as the legitimate successors of the original apostles. Uh, Justin Martyr in the year 100, he lived 100 to 165. He said, for the prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time. Now, it is possible uh, to see among us women and men who possess gifts of the Spirit of God. This was in 100 to 165 AD. That was very early in the church. 
But then in 125 through 200, Irenaeus uh, said, in like manner, we do also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and through the Spirit uh, speak all kinds of languages. Yes, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remain among us for many years. Now, we, we don't have a lot of that this day, but it was happening in uh, somewhere between 125 and 200 A.D. Uh, then Tertullian, he lived uh, from the year 150 to 240, roughly. Uh, he said, for seeing that we too acknowledge the spiritual uh, chromista um, or, or gifts, we too have merited the attainment of the prophetic gift. And heaven knows how many distinguished men uh, to say nothing of the common people, we have been or have been cured either of devils or of their sickness. So there was healing taking place in 240 A.D. And then there was a guy named Origen of Alexandria uh, in 284 A.D. Some give evidence of their having received uh, through this faith, a marvelous power uh, by the cures uh, of which they perform, invoking no other name uh, over those who use their help than that of God of all things, along with Jesus and the mention of his history. So there we have testimony in 284 about. And then Augustine in uh 354 through 430 said in his work the city of God August Augustine tells of healings and miracles that he has observed firsthand and then says I am so pressed by the promise of finishing this work that I cannot record all the miracles I know he didn't have time to write it down the works that he was seeing in his day 354 to, to 430 A.D. So we know that up to the 4th century, after, after the death of Christ, um, the things that Paul wrote about, preached and believed, the things that the other apostles wrote about, uh, the miraculous works of the Spirit, were all taking place. They hadn't ended, but their lives had ended. The, the original apostles' lives have ended. They didn't live to 430 A.D. Uh, that, that's, that's old, and people weren't living that long then. Um, but it was still happening. There's, there's no defined date or time where this would ever cease, and there's no mention of it really ever ceasing. Uh, anybody want to say anything about that? I'm going on and on now. I read, I read slow. Uh, these statements just testify that spiritual gifts continued to be common in the church from the day of Pentecost up to the beginning of the 4th century. All of these men knew Paul, knew his understanding and teaching concerning all the gifts of the Spirit and what it included. Nowhere do they suggest that any of them had been taken away. There's no suggestion of that in Scripture. 
it's still active in the fourth century. What's the difference between the fourth century and now? Years. That's the only difference, years. Um, we are the church. They were the church. Actually, they still are the church. They're just not with us. We are the church, and that is through the marvelous work of Jesus Christ. Um, the problem has been, the problem has been, now I'm, I'm declaring that there's a problem, and the problem that I'm talking about and that you're thinking about is where are the miracles today? If you weren't thinking about that, obviously now you will be. It's like saying pay no attention to the elephant in the room. Um, you're thinking about it now. Where are the miracles? Well, that's where I perceive a problem and I and uh, feel like the Lord is leading me and has led me. The, the problem has been a lack of faith and holiness within the church. A lack of faith and holiness in the church. Now, I'm not, I'm not slapping you with a wet rag. Um, it's just a fact. Our, our, uh, our faith wavers and... Uh, don't let anyone who wavers think that they'll receive anything from God. It takes faith. Uh, our faith wavers and holiness within the church and, and holiness is a really big word because what does holiness mean? And there's been a lot of conf confusion about that. There's been a lot of uh, speculation. There have been a lot of religions that, that teach certain uh, physical things that we do to be holy. Um, but what it comes down to is it's an attitude and a position that we have with God. It's recognizing his holiness. It's recognizing his perfect, uh, perfect love and, and compassion toward us. It's recognizing his providence toward us and his ability to take care of uh, his responsibilities. He's responsible for our well-being in every area. Uh, he, takes out, he takes care of us. He looks out for us. And holiness is recognizing that and living like we recognize that. Holiness is the way we live and the way we think. It's not necessarily the way we dress, although holiness will talk to us about the way we dress. If we're dressing in a way that's not pleasing to the Spirit, the Spirit will let us know that. Then the question comes, will we, re will we realize that the Spirit's talking to us about it? And if we realize what the Spirit's talking to us about, whether it's dress or some other reason, some other thing, uh, if we realize that the Spirit's talking to us about it, will we obey the Spirit? Now we're coming down to holiness. That's a, that's a true holiness thing. Um, when we try to substitute uh, fervent prayer uh, and true holiness with quick, eloquent prayer, and politically correct behavior, it translates into strange fire and loss of power. When we try to substitute it, and it's, it's, it's not okay, we shouldn't do that. But it's very natural. As a matter of fact, it's extremely natural and not spiritual. We will do that. We try to justify ourselves in the sight of man, and that will take priority many times uh, with us that we end up living to serve man and gain approval from man and, and less seeking approval from God because we're still in this flesh and everything that we do 
affects this flesh. It affects the spirit too, but it doesn't hurt the same. It's, it's, uh, it, it's something that we know, but we don't have to think about. So um, it isn't hard to understand that when the church forgets her citizenship in heaven, that she will begin to seek to establish herself without exhibiting the supernatural gifts of heaven and denounce those who believe and trust in the gifts of God. That's, we are not there, but, but it happens around us. There are people who uh, wag their heads at those who have the audacity to believe that God's word is true and that it's a day that we live in that we can have authority over the spiritual world and we can have blessed lives simply because we believe, simply because we're faithful to God and we approach him uh, in holiness. Stop and consider the early relationship between man and God. Take it back to Adam. When God created Adam, Adam was ecstatic to do whatever God gave him to do. He was so happy. He had a walk with God every day. God would come see him every evening uh, in the cool of the day and walk with him. Now, what did that look like? <laughs> no man can see God and live. But that's modern man. I don't know if Adam could have before sin. But sin brought death. Sin put us in a precarious spot. Uh, and before there was sin, Adam's greatest pleasure was to, was to please God. And that brought the greatest pleasure to God. He loved him. And well, he loves us too. But he would walk with him. He walks with us today too if we ask him and we permit him. But when we resist him, we don't feel him so close. That doesn't mean he went away. But we don't feel him so close. Uh, then down through time, when he, uh, when he walked with uh, Abraham, Abraham had faith in God, and it separated him. Some people didn't quite understand him because of his uh, zeal and his, and his attention that he gave to God. But when they needed something from God, they didn't have a problem with turning to Abraham and seeing if he could work it out for them. Um, they, they did have a, a, a faith in God. Then we get up to the, you know, we get up and, and look at Noah. Um, he was really a strange character. He was the only one building a boat. And there weren't any boats around. And he's building a boat. And it, really there's no record that it had ever even rained uh, before that time. But then he was one of them that was on the boat while everybody else was trying to get in the boat. People don't really find a lot of pleasure in other people having strong faith in God. Why? Why do people really not care too much for people who are... That's right. Why? They don't understand it. They're afraid of seeing it in themselves. Being around someone who, is in, who has strong faith and is a believer in God is convicting because it's a mirror on ourselves and we see that we are not and we see why we are not and we see what separates us from God. People really don't like conviction. It comes on strong. 
the stronger your faith is, the more conviction you'll be bringing on other people. Not intentionally. It's not a vindictive thing or, or a hateful thing. But it happens automatically. We are a proud bunch. And if you do anything to, to uh, hinder our, our pride or, or to put a dent in our pride, you've you got the beginning of an enemy right there. We are proud. And God hates pride. By the way, he even hates a proud look. Um, but when we try to substitute our behavior and our abilities to appear to be spiritual, and then we pray our quick, eloquent prayers and suppose that it's going to produce something with God when, when the uh, relationship is just not there, that's really an abomination because that's making ourselves God. We think we're going to change things and we're not really including God. We just say his name like the seven sons of Sceva. John Wesley wrote uh, the following statement in the journal of John Wesley. I was fully convinced of what I had once suspected that the grand reason why the miraculous gifts uh, were so soon withdrawn uh, was not only that the faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began even then to ridicule whatever gifts they had not themselves and to decry them all as either madness or imposter. That was a long time ago. John Wesley, I don't actually know the dates, but it's been a, it's been a good while back, and he saw it then. Um, so kind of wrapping this up, um, Acts chapter two, verses 17 and 18, it's Acts two, 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Some interesting things there. Uh, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just apostles, not just... Um, um, I'm a man without words right now. Disciples. Uh, not just his apostles, not his, uh, just his disciples, but on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, no distinction, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Nobody's left out. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. It doesn't sound like it's getting less. It sounds like it's getting more. As population increases and people who have faith in God increase, it's more. It's not less. And the enemy would like to, would like to uh, steer us away from that, that cessation um, theory principle. Um, these people who are actually promoting that, I'm not going to say their names, uh, but you know them. You know them and have listened to them. 
and you've had you've had respect for them, uh, but they actually do not believe and and teach against the spiritual gifts. They're on the radio. You've heard them, and the reason I'm saying that is. Um, Basically, I, I want to reveal to you that this is a doctrine that is being preached in our ears in this world in the day that we live. It's an effort to pull people away from spiritual gifts. It's an effort to pull people away from true spirituality. And the only reason for that would be to get us lost. So you can know just through basic plain logic that this is a work of the enemy and it works its way into the church because they combine it they combine this message with uh, principles that are written in the word of God and clear and plain and cause us as the children of God to put confidence in them because they speak true things but along with the true things they mix in it's a mixture of true things and false doctrine that will pull us away from the importance and the necessity of the spiritual gifts in our life. We'll play it down because, oh, so-and-so is such a dynamic preacher and always on the mark and says such good things. Well, they do say good things. And a lot of it is scripture-based. And that just gives us confidence in everything they say. And that's where the false doctrine gets worked into and and uh pastor scott has been talking about that recently um, um a, a few people have been talking about the infiltration of of subtle doctrines that exist being filtered in and injected into the church and then it slowly uh takes away aspects of our faith and if if nothing else causes it to stop or at least be less important in our minds. And we really can't afford to have that because if ever there was a time that the enemy was working hard against the church, it's not. we don't have to look very far for that. Truth has been thrown in the street. Um, people will believe a lie before they will believe truth. We are, we are in some very hard to understand times where the simple basic biological things of this world have become cloudy and and uh, been declared to not be firm and constant. And our children, this is the scary part, our children who are in school are being taught things that are absolute lies and being made to embrace and believe things that are sin and abominations to God. The problem with lack of power is lack of faith and lack of holiness. The reason, actually, the reason for lack of power is lack of faith and lack of holiness. And that kind of sums up what I have to say. Other than don't stop believing. Start believing. Don't stop praying. Pray in the Spirit. And begin to exercise uh, the powers that you have it's not a power play. It's just you, you need to believe that it's there, that it's real. Um, start believing in what God has given you to make your life 
a beautiful, joyful life where you can go home and home can be your sanctuary. Home can be your castle. It, it's, your, it's your place of peace away from the world, away from the job site where, uh, where your faith is constantly being attacked and maybe not in huge ways, but small ways. I heard a long time ago, and I believe that it's true today, that uh, the devil's favorite weapon is a wedge. It's because, Nathan, you split wood. I know you do. A wedge starts off so small that you can you don't even really have to have an axe in your hand. You can take a wedge and stick it in the end of a log, and it'll stay there. Then you can hit it with with the uh, the axe or the sledge. And you don't have to hit it real hard. It'll go in a little deeper. And it goes in a little deeper. The next time it goes in a little deeper. It doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot until it gets to the point to where there's enough pressure on the rest of the log that you get a split right down below that wedge. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It just takes time. A little tap here, a little tap there. It takes time. The harder you tap, the faster it goes. But seeing the devil and, and his nature, I don't think that he wants to exert any more energy than he has to. I think he probably would take it easy if he can, which is just a feeling. Uh, I, I can't really prove that. Consider the ant, oh sluggard. Um, so don't get weak in your faith. Build it up and exercise it and, and do it at home. You can do it at home. There's nobody to even watch you there except for the devil and God. Do it at home. Walk around your house and rebuke every spirit that you feel that is not of God. Get it out of your house and set up barriers. No, you're not welcome here. Don't come back. Be firm and straightforward. You don't have to flex your muscles. That doesn't mean anything to it. But if you know who you are and where your limitations are, which there really aren't, uh, anything is possible through Christ, which strengthens me. So in one minute that we don't even have, anybody have anything to say? Any questions, comments, requests? Be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to come and receive from you. We pray tonight, Lord, that all of the words that we've heard tonight, all of the things that you've sent our way, that we can receive them in the spirit that they were given and that we can apply them to our lives so that our homes and our families and our church can become a joyful place and free from the attack of the enemy and full of the spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 